Praise God. Welcome, everybody, and thanks once again for coming out this evening. There's a great imbalance in the church, in, in the, particularly the, the UK church and the European churches. Not so much in America, but in this part of the world, there's a great, great imbalance in the teaching that the churches put out in terms of prosperity. We don't hear anywhere near enough about prosperity. And the, the devil loves to mess this thing up. For, for many years when I was in Ireland, I heard again and again about this wise guy called Johnny McAvoy. And, and people would tell me, oh, you know, if they had a problem, they would go to Johnny or this, that and the other. And he was obviously known for his wisdom. And I thought to myself, if I ever meet that guy, I've got a few questions to ask him. Well, I did meet him. And I remember one of the first things that he talked to me about was this. He said, money may not be the biggest problem the church has. May not be the biggest problem you have, but I tell you what, it's not far from it. And I remembered that as I thought, okay, he's known for his wisdom. And for it, in my opinion, because I, when I got saved, I had a major problem with prosperity. And I mean major. I was, so, because I was a Roman Catholic, that was my background. For me, Jesus was poor. And so I should be poor. That's what I believed. In fact, I'd kill you over it. <laughs> I was ready to fight for that truth. I didn't know what the Bible taught. And I was sincerely wrong. Sincerely very, very wrong. And that one sticking point messed me up big time. I found myself having to go away, and I did. I, I took myself off up the Brecon Beacons in Wales with a tent and, and, because I had a problem. I couldn't work with the church. I knew something was wrong, and I, I sincerely sought God. I said, God, I hate prosperity. Surely this is wrong. Whilst there's famine and whilst there's this, that, and the other, this cannot be right. Help me, God. So I wouldn't eat, and I would just drink water, and I lay there in a tent on the side of the mountain. And God spoke to me, and he corrected me. It was an admonishment, not a rebuke, not quite that hard, but I got the answer I sought. And the answer came to me actually from the book of Romans, and it changed my life. God said this to me, who are you to judge another man's servant from Romans? Who are you to tell me what I can and can't do? Who do you think you are? to tell me I can't bless this servant or that servant. Who are you to judge? Another man's servant. And I was delivered. I was free from that, because it was a bondage to me, you know. We need to hear much, much more, not less, much, much more teaching about prosperity. Much more. And we need to fight to get that through. But it's hard work, because you get judged and you get greatly persecuted. Particularly today. I mean, there's a crisis on, right? There's a worldwide crisis, and the church is the answer. But so often we can be on the back foot on this issue, frightened to talk about it, frightened to bring it up. And after coming down off that mountain, I did a lot of research, a lot of study, and I found out things that nobody ever told me. For, to begin with, this. You know salvation. I'm sure most of us here would say salvation has come to us. But the, the, the actual root meaning of the Hebrew word for salvation has four aspects, not just one. And we're all so familiar with number one there, righteousness. 
But that's not the only thing that the word salvation means. And that's not the only thing that you received when you got saved. It wasn't righteousness alone. You also received deliverance. You also received healing, past tense. You also received prosperity. But you see, we don't have faith in these issues in the same way we do righteousness. The famous part in in Exodus there, where, where Moses stands before the Red Sea, and he turns to the people and he says that line, Stand still this day, and you will see the deliverance. The word is salvation. The word is salvation. But you notice the interpreters didn't interpret it that way. Because it's the same word. They they could have written, stand still and you will see the salvation of the Lord. But that wasn't the actual one of the four to choose from. You see? Because they were actually being delivered. So they interpreted the word in that situation, stand still and see the deliverance. And in another place where the, the, the healing aspect of your salvation is being drawn out, they'll interpret it that way. In another place where it concerns prosperity, they interpret it that way. You have all of this. We do as soon as we're saved. But there's a battle to get it, okay? A great battle. See, the truth is, those who preach prosperity get it. I mean, they've got a very bad name, true? (laughs) It's got a bad name. It's got a bad name in the earth. And that's because of the terrible abuses. We'll deal with that over the next couple of weeks. Because of the terrible abuses of some. Christians, you know, go to extremes on these things. And that's not right. That's not where I'm coming from, by the way. So hear me out. But I started with asking myself this question, and you need to ask yourself this too, because I want to follow Christ. Not some culture, not say even a church culture. I'm not interested. I follow Jesus. So I asked myself this question, and you should too. Did Jesus preach prosperity? Yes or no? And was it part of his gospel, even his gospel to the lost? The answer is yes. Turn to Mark's gospel, chapter 10. This is your ammunition. Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, and verse 29. It says this. This is Jesus talking. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much when? In this present age. In this present age. Homes. Brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields. And look at the next bit, because this is important. And with them, persecutions. Persecution for what? For prospering. So, I will prosper them. He's promising them that. That those who follow him and put their faith in him, they will be prospered. But by the way, you're going to be judged. You're going to receive as you prosper... As I bless you, you're going to get persecution with that blessing because people are going to judge you. They're going to you know, misread you. So be aware of that, right? But it's in this present age that God has promised those who follow him homes, relationships of quality, brothers, sisters, fields. This is our promise. This is our inheritance. But what a good job the devil has, has done, really, of playing into the religious mindset Uh, that, that so many of us have, and I certainly came to the church with. So there's four aspects to the salvation that you have. But sadly, currently, certainly in Europe, the church focuses on number one. And that is, I mean, it's, it's a fourth of the gospel. Try driving your car with one cylinder. 
and see how far you get. And then we wonder why the church struggles. We wonder why we put, put, put along. You need four cylinders, by the way, to get that thing shifting. We need finances, right? Right now we need a building, a big building. We need finances, millions and millions. That's what we need. Nothing short of it. Multiplied millions. But crafty devil, there's two camps in the world. There's those who preach the top one. Right? Sin and righteousness. I'll tell you a good example of this. Many of you here will know. Pastor Jeff. <laughs> Pastor Jeff's a real number one, right? He's a prophet, a sin and righteousness preacher. You won't hear Jeff talk too much about prosperity. Jeff's got no money, by the way. Right? True. The reason he's out of ministry at the moment, he's in America trying to raise funds. So he needs to get the rest of his gospel. True? Absolutely true. No problem preaching sin and righteousness. But the church has made a stupid mistake. Split itself into two camps. One half preaches sin and righteousness and they've got no money. Half the evangelists can't support themselves because they're stuck on number one. The other half often leaves the sin bit behind, afraid to mention sin, and they just talk about prosperity. Right? But we need all four. We need to bring these four things together, invest our faith in all four. That's why they call it the prosperity gospel. Because some people only take number four. And they make that their gospel. Well, that's not what I'm saying. And that's not what the Bible says. We, we do not have this thing sorted out, I'm telling you. In Europe, no way. In Britain, no way. It's way short. And there's going to have to be a radical correction in terms of prosperity. I was in a pastor's meeting in Ireland, about 40 pastors in a room. Now, I've got over this problem, right? I had an issue with this, but I've got over it. So I'm sitting in a room, all these guys, all these pastors, I don't know half of them, and the leader of the meeting says, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to choose someone and go and pray for them. Boom, I got my man straight away, prompting in the spirit. Him, you know? I thought, I'm getting him. I saw him first. Nobody else is getting him. I'm going to pray. <laughs> so when the time came and he said, go, I was up out of my seat. I went straight over to that guy. And I said, I just felt a real strong prompting to pray for you. Who are you? He looked around. He said, I'm Jerry Byrne. I'm from Victory. Gotcha. Prosperity Church. <laughs> Prosperity Church in Dublin. Loads of persecution. They had been isolated. A man, he was bleeding inside. He said, we came here. We planted our church. Half this city won't talk to us. People think, you know, prosperity. It's a new thing in Ireland. And it was in those days. It's changed a lot since then. But I thought, there. Because I'd been delivered in that. God showed me that again. Go and tell him. But the truth is, it's the same for many of you. Same for many of you at home. You'll be struggling on this issue. And I ask you to drop it. To come back to Scripture. And look again like I had to do, right? The gospel is good news on all four points. Right? It's good news to those stuck in sin to know that there is a Savior. That's point one. But that's not the only thing. So when Christ would walk around, remember the woman whose daughter had a demon? Do you know what's good news for her? Deliverance. It's good news. It's a gospel. And that woman's got a daughter who she can't, probably locked up, bound or whatever. And she hears the good news that there's someone who can set her daughter free. It's the gospel, right? Healing is good news if you're sick. And of course, prosperity is good news, particularly in the current world we live in. And we need to preach it. It's a sad thing. We go street preaching, but I tell you what, you're almost frightened to talk about prosperity because of the reputation it has, right? And we need to, we need to change that. Part of the problem we have is that we are not converted 
on the latter three. Remember, the Bible uses two different words for salvation, for, for being saved. The word regenerate, regeneration, which means being born again. But then there's another word, which is often misused, the word conversion. Regeneration, meaning being born again, is God's work, God's part. Conversion is man's work. It's his part in it, right? You were converted on number one. At one point in your life, if you're born again here, at one point, you knew you were a sinner and you converted. You did your part. You changed your mind with regards to your need of Jesus Christ and the cross. And you understand, number one, every one of you probably would say, I know that I'm not saved by my own righteousness. I know that Christ died for me. But your salvation must progress now to these other things, such as deliverance. And you see, you can judge the prosperity preachers. But you notice we don't judge the deliverers. We don't judge those who work in healing. What's the problem? I reckon then prosperity must be a much bigger tool. Must be a much greater tool for the church. And if the devil can stop the money, then the church is, is debilitated. Right? And can't do the work that it's called to do. You see, you've had a conversion experience on number one, no doubt, no problem. But we're so quick to judge those who have a conversion experience on the last one. Right? So those who talk about, say, deliverance all day. It's because they've changed their minds. They, they know it. They understand it. They've got faith in it. And we've got no problem. Those who don't, like Stephen Anderson. Remember Stephen Anderson came here? He has a healing ministry. And that was fantastic. His visit here was great. Stephen will talk about healing all day. He's converted. He's converted on that point. And then you get those around the world who God has raised up to teach or to preach or, or to be prospered to bring finances into the church. And they're the ones so often that get the stick and I don't want to make that mistake don't let's uh, let, let us make that mistake as a church now as I say hear me out because we've got a long way to go well we'll spend three or four weeks on this topic so that we deal with it thoroughly properly right and end up in a place of faith balanced faith that is biblical sound and not abusive I'm not interested in being abusive but balanced faith and, and useful faith in the kingdom so what are the obstacles then? Here we are, we're at the, the beginning of this walk. God wants to definitely prosper us, 2009, and off we go. What are the obstacles that I'm, li that I'm likely to face? Well, the first obstacle, I would say, is th just the, 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 the mindset, the religious mindset that fallen nature has. Nothing to do with being a Catholic or anything like that. Just fallen man is religious. It's your nature to worship something. It's nothing to do with the church. That's why you've got the pop concerts, where they're all standing, looking a bit like us. It's, wor it's worship, right? It's the religious nature of mankind, fallen. It's there already. And we, we, we have to come out of that and embrace what is, was for me a new gospel. It wasn't what I had first believed. I'll give you an example to, to just illustrate that. I'm from Ireland, and... Not many people know this, but St. Patrick came to Ireland in 432. He was a born-again believer. You can tell that from his writings. And he created a charismatic church in Ireland, a powerful charismatic church. And it lasted, you know, long after his death. Now, the Roman Catholic Church sent envoys to Ireland to try and get them to come under Rome. But Patrick's descendants said no, they wouldn't do it. In fact, the Catholic Church was imposed on Ireland centuries later by England. Not many people know that, but it was. 
But, but this is what happened. The, uh, the English imposed Roman, a foreign rule, Roman Catholicism in Ireland, and then a few centuries go by until I'm born. Now, I'm born and I'm Irish. I tell you what, the Irish are notorious for holding on to their faith, Irish Catholics, even though it was the wrong faith, even though it wasn't their original gospel. So I got saved there. And then you go to people who were Catholics just like me, you bring them the, gospel, the original gospel, and they defy it. That's not the... Yes, it is. This is the original truth. This is the truth that was something else was imposed upon you. But they can't, you know, let it go so often. That's what you're up against. It's a lot easier to learn than it ever is to unlearn. We become loyal to the thing we first believed, even if that thing was wrong. We tend to stick to our guns, even if it's wrong, reluctant to let go, reluctant to let new truth in, and that's a major blockage to people. And I see that in my own culture. So let me challenge you. Where are you on these things? Have you come out of it? Can you identify movement in your life? Because we need to. The second thing that, 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 that blocks us from prospering, from going on in the kingdom, is just good old-fashioned guilt. Guilt can, 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 it will puncture your faith, as it were, like a balloon. Where there's guilt, faith can't grow. Faith can't arise. And the truth is, we, even as born-again, spirit-filled believers, we can still struggle with sin and still struggle with guilt. And that will stop you prospering, guarantee you. Right? Good example of that's the prodigal son. Now, he... He goes so far away from God, messes his life up so badly, he ends up in a pigsty. But it's God's will to prosper him. He's in that pigsty, and he starts to work his way back. You know the conversation. I will go back and hire myself out to my father, right? No prosperity there. No blessing there. He's not expecting blessing because he's full of guilt. He arrives back with the father. The father says, kill the fatted calf, prosperity. Put a ring on his finger, prosperity. Put a robe on it, prosperity. And he says, no, don't do that to me. I don't deserve it. I'm nothing but a sinner. See? Guilt in you will be a wall between, between you and God when he tries to cause you to freely receive, like Peter pushing away the bull, like the prodigal son rejecting the free gift of the Father, guilt within us can also stop us prospering. So we need to overcome these or we'll never move forward. Religious mindsets, guilt or having a, 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 a penance type approach to God. See, with, with righteousness, we get stuck. We get stuck. And many mature believers, and maybe you've been saved 10, 15, 20 years. Fine, no problem. But let me tell you, there's many people who've been saved 10, 15, 20 years, and they still only know Jesus as Savior and Lord. And that's it. That's all he is to them. He's a Savior, and he's their Lord. And yet he's so much more. He describes himself in a multitude of ways. He describes himself as the King off. Okay. So I got to be a king then, right? He's the king of kings. Kings rule. Kings reign. Kings are certainly prosperous. But he's not a king of just anybody. 
He's a king who, of those who know themselves as kings. He's the king of kings. And you've got to see yourself that way. But some only know him as the Christ on the cross, as Pastor Tom prophesied here one Friday. We've got to get past the cross. Right? And many people get stuck there in a penitent religious lifestyle and never proceed to know him as, by all means, Savior and Lord. Amen. But he's also the king of kings. He's the king of those who will take authority on earth, who will take a city like this. Amen? Amen. That's what he's looking for in us. Shake off the religious mindset. Shake off your cultural loyalties, which are false loyalties. False loyalties, I tell you. We need to put them down and embrace that word right there. Listen to Jesus and follow him and him alone. Don't be a prodigal son. Right? Where are you with, your, with the progression of your gospel? Are you a prodigal Turn to 3 John a moment. That little book of 3 John has probably got one of the Bible's best definitions of prosperity. 3 John. Oy. Let me just put this on the screen for you because I want to show you something. 3 John in verse 2 says this, verse 1 and 2. This is in the NIV, first of all. The elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that, that all may, look at this, all may go well. Go well. That all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. Right? This is the New International Version. Now look at the New King James Version. To the elder, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the, the, in the truth, beloved, I pray that you may... What's the difference there then? Why did the NIV choose to use the word go well instead of the word prosper? Well, the answer is because that's exactly what John says here. He, he's using a traveling term, if you like. And he's using a term, if you can imagine... I used to travel quite a bit and I would get my case out and I would start to pack everything that I needed for any trip that I would go on. Now I would pack it and then Jeanette would come in and unpack it. You know how it is, right? I'd have my stuff. I'd say, right, I've got my teddy bear. I've got my, my coffee, right? That's important. I don't need anything else, do I? And then she'll come in and she'll do all her stuff and take it all out. But listen, by the time she's done, the idea is that I can zip this thing up. By the time she's finished, I'm supposed to say, got it. I've got everything I need. That's the go well. Prosperity is everything you need for your life, for your ministry, everything you need. And that's what John is getting at. I pray that you receive everything you need. But hey, look what's on the bag. <laughs> And so often, you see, as much as we know and praise God for righteousness and praise God for our salvation, but the truth is we seldom unpack the other aspects of this great salvation that God has given us and they remain unopened, unused for our whole lives long. We don't even know they're in the bag. And you'll arrive at heaven, folks. You will arrive at heaven pulling your case. We're here. And 
It's, it's a sad, sad sight. Because when you got saved, Christ gave you everything you need for the journey. He will not be found wanting. It will be us that will be found wanting, no doubt whatsoever. So what blocks us then from prospering? Our mindset, religious mindset, the cultures that we're brought up in, right? A penitent religious type attitude, feeling sorry for sin, not being able to get past the cross and not becoming that king that God wants us to be. And lastly, I've shown you this chart many times. This is Abraham Maslow's uh, self-actualization chart. I love this. I like it. Don't get bamboozled by the big words on it. I like what it says because it tells me about me. Maslow was a psychologist and he said this, that no one will become all that God has made them to be. It's called self-actualization. It's the top of the triangle. No one will reach that or become all that God has intended them for them to be unless they come through certain stages. And as the years have gone by, I've gone back to this chart time and time again. And do you know why? Because he was right. He was right. It's actually very thoroughly biblical. You see what he said? See the bottom one, for instance? He said, you're never going to prosper until you learn to meet your physiological needs. And the idea is this. We all had parents. You had a mom and a dad, right? And they raised you. They brought you up. Now, if they did a good job, they looked after you. They fed you. They clothed you. But then they taught you how to do that for yourself. They changed your mind. They said, you're not a boy anymore. You're not a kid anymore. Now you're going to look after yourself. And you put in a foundation. And you were able then to move on. Have you any idea the number of Christians who have a handout? Have you any idea the number of Christians who can't look after themselves? Who come to the church and think, the world owes me a living? You know, it's everywhere, believe me. It's a culture, especially in Britain, right? See, it's not that simple. Have I learned, have I taken responsibility for meeting my own needs, for looking after, have I grown up at all? And Maslow was saying that this is a foundation. Well, it's a biblical foundation too. If a man does not work, he shall not. Right. So it's a biblical foundation too. Listen, no matter what culture you were brought up in, we work a little bit in Postle Park. To walk out onto the streets of Postle Park, which is a, a rundown area of the city, a tough spot with many people on welfare. But hey, look at the faces. There's death on them faces, man. Death. Social welfare will suck more out of you than it ever gives to you. Never learning the basics, you see. Listen to me. My point is this. That will, they will never prosper. They will never prosper. They're stuck not meeting those basic needs, fulfilling biblical criteria. Now, the next one up, and it's, it's, it's pretty simple. We need safety needs, belonging needs, esteem needs, and the Bible goes through all of those. Safety just means that you provide for yourself. Solomon established himself, right? So you need to provide for yourself. You need to get over any you know, motivations that are wrong. And in the end, we self-actualize. Or as, as John may put it, you end up opening your case and taking out all that God has provided for you. There's, this is maturity. And John says to Gaius, I pray that you prosper as you mature. Even as your soul prospers is the way he puts it. As you grow up, Gaius, as you prove yourself to be the man, to take the lead, to, to meet the needs of your family, your home, as you do that, as you mature, 
I pray that you also prosper. So whatever the blockages are for you, I had major blockages to prosperity. And I had to, you know, deal with them one by one, and I'm still working on them constantly. What's yours? What keeps you from being that king whom Jesus can lead as your king, the king of kings? What stops you from unpacking this case? Whatever it is, overcome it. Overcome it. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads. I'm going to invite the guys back. Father, we ask you to, to lead us and guide us in the way we should go, not the way we would go, but the way we should go, that we would obey you and follow closely at your heel. And God, we lift ourselves as a church. Would, would you mature us radically in these days? And we don't know how long, God, we've got left on this earth. I'm going to pray that we will be very useful in this time. God, break down any religious mindset in me and in everyone here. If there's any religious or penitent attitude, God, we shake it off. And we receive that ring. And we receive that robe. And we come to the banqueting table. And we take a seat with you, Lord Jesus. For this is your goodness. It's your good pleasure to restore us. God, lead us and help us grow up and mature.